Hi and welcome to St Ninian's Sermons Podcast. My name's Stuart, I'm the Minister at St Ninian's in Stonehouse, which is in Scotland. We are a local ecumenical partnership between the Church of Scotland and the United Reformed Church and that means we reflect both traditions in our work and worship. So let's listen to our reading for this week and then get on to the sermon. So we read again this week from Revelation chapter 21, verses 1 to 14. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among the mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more for the first things have passed away. And the one who was seated on the throne said, See, I am making all things new. Also he said, Write this, for these words are trustworthy and true. Then he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water as a gift from the spring of the water of life. Those who conquer will inherit these things, and I will be their God and they will be my children. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the polluted, the murderers, the fornicators, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all the liars, their place will be the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Then one of the seven angels, who had the seven bowls full of the seven last plagues, came to me and said, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And in the spirit he carried me away to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city of Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It had the glory of God like a radiance, like a very rare jewel, like jasper clear as crystal. It has a great high wall with 12 gates and the gates had 12 angels and on the gates were inscribed the names of the 12 tribes of Israelites and on the east three gates, on the north three gates, on the south three gates and on the west three gates and on the wall of the city it had 12 foundations and on them were the names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. Amen. We're coming to the end of our series on Revelation and we've jumped over all the really hard stuff which I'm delighted about and we're at chapter 21 and I think at some point we're going to go back and do the rest of it because I I don't know about you but I found it interesting Um, so we'll go back and we'll explore the bit in the middle um, that everybody always avoids apart from Iron Maiden. Stories that were missed are stories of a beast and a lamb. Talk of Armageddon, the end of all things. Stuff that we quite frankly find terrifying, so we mostly avoid it. But the people reading these stories have heard them before. They're not new. This kind of apocalyptic writing is at the heart of the Jewish scriptures. The book of Daniel is very much like the book of Revelation. 
You weren't expecting that this morning, were you? Daniel in his lion den, and then Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and the fiery furnace, and all that kind of stuff. It's the same kind of writing. And in Daniel, there are four beasts who come from the sea and wreak havoc across the land. And John tells the same story in Revelation. For John's community, the latest of the beasts is the Roman Empire. By the time that Revelation is written, the Jews have rebelled against the Romans and tried to overthrow them. And the response of the empire was brutal. The temple and most of Jerusalem was flattened and all of the rebels were killed. They made the last stand on the mountain of Masada. It's a hilltop fort, which is really weird because it's below sea level. It's down near the Dead Sea. So you go up a mountain, but you're still below the sea. It's really odd. They had a fort there, and the Romans basically starved them out. They surrounded the bottom of the mountain so nobody could come or go. And then the Romans built a ramp, an earth ramp, up the mountain. It's hundreds of meters high. And it took them nearly three years to do it. And on the night before the Romans were about to storm the fortress, legend has it that ten of the rebels were appointed to kill everyone else. And then one of the ten was appointed to kill the other nine. So that only one person would be taken alive so that the Romans couldn't make an example of everyone. But the thing is, we know that's not an unusual story. The Romans, when they came to a new place, had an interesting and very simple negotiating technique. Surrender or we'll kill you all. That's how it worked. And they called it Pax Romana, the peace of Rome. Do what we tell you and everything will be fine. Don't and you all die. They used to line people on crosses along main roads as a warning to everyone else. But the Romans weren't the only beast to have appeared from the sea. The Greeks, the Babylonians, the Assyrians, the Egyptians, they all came either from the sea or from the desert. Over 2,000 years, empires would rise and fall. And ours was one of them. Nations would invade other nations and strip the assets of those countries and bring wealth and power to a few. And we would call it progress and free trade. These visions John was given were what was. That's what prophecy is, what was and what had been. And what would continue to be as long as nothing changed. Prophecy is not fortune-telling. It's an assessment of current affairs. Prophets look around at what's happening and they say, well, if you don't change your ways, if you don't go back to God, then there are implications. And the people have strayed very, very far from God. But just as the Gospel of John tells us, the light shines in the darkness. And the darkness can never overcome the light. It's John's counter vision to the culture of death. Life. See, the home of God is among the mortals. He will dwell with them and they will be his people. And God himself will be with them. A new heaven 
and a new earth together. Remember, at the start of Revelation, John's invited to step through a doorway into heaven. There's a separation. Heaven is somewhere else. It's nearby, but it's not here. But in John's vision at the end, God lives here with us. It's the restoration of Eden, where God walked in the garden with all his creations, and everything was perfect, and everyone and everything lived in harmony. And the sea was gone. Because the sea in Revelation is where bad things come from. On old maps, the seas used to have monsters drawn on them. And they would say things like, there be dragons. Because people didn't know what was there. And the sea was wild and unpredictable and scary. And on the hill is the holy city. The new Jerusalem. Yerushalayim, the city of peace, perhaps the most ironically named square mile in the whole of the world, a city that has been fought over for millennia, mostly because of its holiness. The project is complete. The whole world knows God. And the holy city has 12 gates and 12 foundations the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles, just as we heard sitting around the throne in our first week. The 12 apostles are the key to the story. The 12 apostles went out and told people about Jesus. The Great Commission at the end of Matthew's Gospel, go and make disciples of all nations. And they did. They did a pretty good job. Because here we are 2,000 years later because of them. But the story only comes true if we continue to do that. To live up to our call to be disciples. To go and spread the word. To tell every person that we meet until the whole world knows God and the kingdom can come. That God will come and be among us. It's a story that's been since the very beginning. Moses, remember him? Moses wrestled and prayed and argued with God. And as he does, the people around him come to know more of God. And then God gives him the law. A solid thing that Moses can take back to the people and say, See, This is what God wants for us. And then the tabernacle is built, the tent that contains the Ark of the Covenant. And it's called the tent of the presence of the Lord. So God no longer lives in the mountain. God lives in the middle of the community. Right at the heart of everything. And then they built a temple when they settled. When they stopped moving around, they built a building in the way that we build buildings. And in the center of that building, the temple, was a holy place. A room where the Ark of the Covenant originally rested. The holiest place in all the city. The holiest place in all the world. But the Ark was taken. And nobody knows who by. And now 
it was just an empty room. A sad metaphor, perhaps, for the gradual forgetting of the covenant. And once again, in John's time, Jerusalem, the holy city, is the scene of violence perpetrated by the great beast. The holiest of holies has been destroyed. Just before our reading today, John refers to the great whore. He's talking about Babylon. That's what Babylon was known as. But the empire of Rome was just the same. An amoral force built on evil and lust and greed and ambition and death. But one day, one day Jerusalem will be restored and renewed, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. It's a language of its time, but we still use the same imagery. A bride, pure, chaste, perfect, that's what the white dress is all about. And the horrors of the world will be gone. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. Even death will be no more. Why? Because the kingdom of God will have come. But what does that look like? Peace. Peace will have broken out across the world. We'll finally realize that empire only works through the exercise of power over the powerless. That wealth is only achieved at another's expense. That our self-reliance is a lie. Because all that we have comes from God. Not from our own hands or our own doing. John's vision is, is a prophecy. He looks around at what has happened and says this is the inevitable outcome. It's the inevitable outcome of Easter. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is slaughtered by the great empire, the beast. It's the great battle between good and evil, where evil thinks that victory is found in domination and destruction and death. But it's not. Because that's not the end. Right at the beginning of the writings of this community, in the Gospel of John in chapter 1, we find the same vision as in Revelation 21, right at the end. The light shines in the darkness. And it can never be overcome. Remember, John is interested in the universal Christ, the saviour of all the world, the creator of all the universe. The Word, the Word who was there with God at the very beginning of all things. And here, now, and there at the end, the Alpha and the Omega, God present among us. God became flesh and lived among us. This story of revelation, this vision, this dream, is what happens when we live into the promise of life. It doesn't become something far off and in the future that will never happen. It becomes here and now. Somewhere that all of heaven and all of earth are joined together to be made one, to be complete to be restored and renewed and recreated. And we're given glimpses of it. 
moments where we too here and now can experience that promise. It happens every time we gather in Christ's name. It happens every time we fully worship God. It happens each time we take part in this strange feast where we eat together bread and wine, where we consume love, becoming one with Christ as we serve one another. The new Jerusalem is here. It's now. It's in this moment as we gather with the great communion of saints on this All Souls Day. Well, the church has for thousands of years remembered all those who have gone before us. It's in this moment, in this revolutionary act, where we declare that Jesus is Lord, not Caesar. Not any government, not any ruler, not any king or prime minister or president. Jesus is Lord. Not money or power or military might, but Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world, is Lord. And it's in that moment, in that reality, that heaven and earth meet and become one. Peace. Peace is a deliberate act. In the same way that war is, we choose to make peace. We do it by shaking hands because that's how you seal a contract. We decide to put all our disagreements behind us. We choose to live differently. We decide, we decide to embrace the kingdom. So in a moment, we're going to practice. In a moment, we're going to join in that promise. In a moment, we'll show what's possible. Let's stand as we're able. And turn to our neighbours and shake their hand and offer them the peace of Christ. That's how it happens. That's how it happens. We decide to go and shake someone else's hand, to offer them peace, and to receive and return that same peace. It's always interesting how far some of you are willing to go. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, See, the home of God is among the mortals. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Death will be no more. Mourning and crying and pain will be no more. For the first things will have passed away. 
Thanks for listening. If you have any comments, questions or thoughts about this week's sermon, then please do get in touch. We create this podcast at anchor.fm where you can leave us a voice message. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram. We post the audio of the whole service each week on our website. There are details of all of this in the show notes. If you're in the neighbourhood and want to join us in person, we meet for worship every Sunday at 11am. We'd love to see you.